You've been hearing a lot about this strike that is going on in Hollywood, not just the writers that are on strike, but now the Actors Guild also on strike too, shutting down all productions pretty much. Huge impact here in British Columbia when you consider everything that is filmed here and all the spin-off economic benefits of that. So what is this strike though actually about? Why do we keep hearing that this is going to be a prolonged strike, that there's a lot at stake? So we wanted somebody to explain it to us. Jonathan Handel joins us now, an entertainment lawyer. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. What is the mood like in in the industry about these strikes? Well, very concerned. Um, the uh, the writers have been on strike for over seventy days now since May second, and the actors uh, began their strike uh, technically at at, at midnight, uh, twelve one a.m. today. They're out on the uh, picket lines and, and in front of. They're on their way. In fact. A group of uh, leadership is on its way to Netflix as we speak, uh, but actors will be picketing at all the companies. And uh, this is this is believed to be going to be a prolonged strike. There's a lot of bitterness between uh, the both the writers and the uh, 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 studios and the actors in the studios. A lot of uh, things were said in the room that uh, were not helpful, and um, there are a lot of uh, there are multiple issues that are that have emerged as roadblocks. So this hasn't happened since 1960, where you had both of these unions on strike at the same time. What are the roadblocks, Jonathan? Why is this particular dispute so contentious? It's uh, it's so contentious because it's a, it's a turning point in technology. It's a turning point in sustainability of and affordability of jobs. And so it's seen as very existential by the unions at the same time that the uh, uh, and, and and we should point out, you know, the the stars that you that you know and love are on strike also, but they are not the ones that this is about. They have their own agents who negotiate individual deals far above the union terms. The union terms are primarily of benefit to working class and middle class actors, people who might make 30, 50, 70,000, you know, 80,000, a couple hundred thousand even, you know, which is uh, a healthier income. But a lot of people who struggle to make a living in high cost cities like Los Angeles and New York, the issues are, uh, there are five of them, but uh, I'll hit them briefly for you. First of all, basic wage increases, uh, keeping up with inflation is an issue for the actors. The studios have not offered uh, anything that uh, comports with the, the last two or three years of inflation we've been having. Secondly, residuals, which are royalties paid when shows are rerun or stay on a streaming platform. Um, the residuals for streaming uh, don't incorporate any sort of success metric. What that means is, that a successful show like Wednesday pays the same residual as a flop like, call it Tuesday. Uh, there is no difference, and the actors are not comfortable with that, uh, nor are the writers. Um, second, Thirdly, um, AI. Uh, both groups do not want to find themselves displaced by AI. And this is a concern for crew as well, who have already started to talk about this in the context of the run-up to the expiration of their contract next year the contract for the IATSE or IATSE, which is a union that operates in Canada and the U.S., uh, incidentally. Uh, fourthly, for the actors, pension and health, their benefit plans, the certain mechanisms involved in the funding have not been updated in 43 years since the last actor's strike, 1980. The last dual strike was indeed 1960, as you said. And um, that is uh, something where the parties are far apart in terms of what the increases should be. Okay. And... And uh, finally, auditions. 
uh, auditions, you, you know, you used to go to a casting director's office. There'd be 20 to 30 people you'd be competing against. You'd go in and you'd, you'd, you'd do your scene. Uh, now people are expected to tape their own auditions using their cell phones at home and submit the tape. And that creates, a, uh, first of all, a lot more people sending in audition tapes. And secondly, a lot of pressure to get it right, to edit and re-edit and do the scene again and hire someone to help you. And suddenly you're paying money to compete for a job that you're even less likely to get than you were in the past. And they want guardrails around that. Okay. Uh, once That's again, all- a distance. Right. That's all so interesting, though, when you think about it. But the one that I find I've been reading a lot about is the residual situation. So if you have a hit show on regular broadcast television, then, Jonathan, you get some kind of residual from that for forever. Right. But on streaming services, you could have a huge hit show and you don't get anything. That's not true. Um, uh, Respectfully, Um, there is no back. People who are stars negotiate what's called back end, which is a share of profits and so forth. And that indeed has uh, in many ways disappeared in the streaming era, but residuals for streaming shows, uh, there's a, there's a misconception about there that those have disappeared as well. They are, they're threatened and challenged. They're not necessarily uh, the same uh, magnitude as they were on broadcast, but there is a residual every year that the show is on the platform. That's part of why we've seen deplatforming of some shows that were potentially viewed as less successful. I mean, like, you know, Westworld was evicted from HBO, uh, for example, and uh, other uh, shows on Netflix. Netflix has done the same. But there are residuals. But one difference is that the residuals in the network and, and cable world implicitly would go up, would be higher if the show was a success. Here in streaming, it, it doesn't depend at all on how many viewers watch the show. That's the thing. Okay, so you can have a huge right. hit show, and that's not going to mean more benefit to you uh, necessarily. Why don't the streamers have to report their viewership numbers? We, it's a free country. We don't have a law, uh, you know. And they and they they are trying to use this technological inflection as a way of changing the custom and practice. The custom and practice in television, of course, was we had Nielsen ratings and other you know right. things of that sort, which, which were not reported by the companies, by the way. It was an independent company, Nielsen. But um, it's much harder in a, in a world of fractured viewing when people are watching on their phones, their PCs, they're playing video games, they're doing all sorts of different things. It's much harder for a company like Nielsen to, to do measurements, and so you really do want the, the sine qua non is the data from the companies themselves, which, as you said, they won't reveal. All right. So then that, those seem like the two really big sticking points here. And as you point out, and I think it's important to emphasize that is this is not about the big time actors, right? This is about all the actors who try to scrape out a living doing this. This is about people who are finding their jobs increasingly precarious, who are finding their job, their, their wages not keeping up with inflation, who are not being given a piece of success even as executives, I mean, uh, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, said that, you know, a success metric for residuals was just a, I believe what he said was it was, you know, unacceptable. It was just a, you know, un, sort of not a conceivable thing. Well, Bob Iger's own uh, compensation package with Disney has a success metric in it. He gets a big bonus depending upon, uh, you know, how he does over the next several years. So it's, 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 there's a hypocrisy to it that people are reacting to. And, you know, of course, you know that you know people are uh, unionizing at Starbucks and Amazon warehouses, and U- the UPS workers look like they're going to go on a strike. We've had other strikes. There's a rise and a rising concern among workers generally, and among labor unions, that this economy in the United States, in particular, 
has gotten so concentrated in wealth and inequality and income inequality that there just isn't the fairness to it anymore. And that's the big issue here. Do you feel like, does this seem like it's going to last a while? This is going to last a while. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if this is resolved before uh, the fall and how far into the fall this, I should say, these, it's two separate strikes, two separate unions. How far this these go into the fall is, uh, you know, is anybody's guess. But the Emmys, which are scheduled for September 18th, are likely to be postponed to most likely January, actually. Um, the uh, actors cannot not only not act in uh, movies, uh, they can't do promotion for movies. So we have Oppenheimer and Barbie coming out uh, next weekend, a week from a week or so from now. There you won't see actors promoting them at Comic-Con, the big uh, venue in San Diego where, you know, the event where people promote these kinds of movies. We won't see it at the Venice Film Festival, people doing promotion. It's, uh, you know, there'll be an economic hit to the studios as well. Well, you just talked about a lot of economic hits, though. Like we have the Toronto International Film Festival here in Canada. You're talking about like nobody walking the red carpet. Um, unless you like to look at directors and executives, you know, they'll, they'll be there, I suppose. Uh, but no, that's exactly right, Tiff. The Toronto, the wonderful Toronto Film Festival, I should say, I've been several times, uh, will will not feature stars, and and for that matter, will not feature uh, writers, and it is it is going to be a very difficult situation. Closer to home, the economic impact is probably around thirty million dollars a day, if we take what the impact was uh, of a writer strike fifteen years ago, and extrapolate for inflation, um, and you know that's. Every every person who's not working, whether it's a crew member, a director, an actor, a writer, uh, the, the dollar they don't spend is a dollar at a restaurant is a dollar or a part of a dollar that the waiter doesn't have to spend when he or she gets off work, and ultimately the waiter gets laid off because there's not enough business at the restaurant. Then that's more dollars that they don't have to spend, and it uh, it ripples, you know, which is then another person that doesn't have an extra dollar, so it ripples through the economy. And it's a, it's a difficult situation. Oh, we're certainly going to feel those ripples up here. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That's Jonathan Handel, entertainment lawyer in Los Angeles, talking about the actor's strike and the writer's strike. First time since 1960 that both of those unions have been on strike at the same time. The ripples are really what we are going to feel. He talked about that. It's not necessarily about the actors up here. It's about the fact that all of the other people that are employed on a production that are now no longer going to be working, that's money not spent, that's no catering hired, no location services hired, uh, all of that comes to a stop as of today while this strike goes on.